Welcome to Everyday Sublime, the podcast that explores a full-spectrum spirituality that is including the shadow, light, and experience of unity. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm really glad to be with you today. Okay, before I begin with today's Dharma talk, I just want to mention for the benefit of anyone that's interested in yin yoga or is already interested in yin yoga, I want to let you know about a few opportunities to uh, avail yourself of some coursework online learning opportunities that Terry and I have created over the last several years. At the beginning of the pandemic, we decided to bundle and steeply discount the four introductory courses to our four core yin yoga teacher training modules. And these online courses are really in-depth looks at the physical aspects of yin yoga, the energetic elements of yin yoga through the lens of traditional Chinese medicine, There's a course on the introductory elements of what I call yin meditation. This is my particular yin uh, yin approach to a vipassana or insight-based style of meditation practice that applies and can be applied to yin yoga. And there's an online course that also looks at applying some of the themes of yin yoga and functional alignment to flow or yang yoga. And we bundled those together calling them the, the sublime quartet. Um, and just like uh, the Sangha membership offering, where we uh, offer these courses at a discounted fee, which is really a way to support us and support the podcast, these four courses, which are roughly 30 to 40 hours of online material, they are offered now for $149 as a bundle. And if that is too steep of a tag price tag for you, we give this whole bundle away for free. We just say, give us, send us an email and these courses will be yours. So if you're interested in the Sublime Quartet, there's going to be a link for that in the show notes. A lot of you have written to us both expressing how much you've gotten out of them, how much they've deepened and broadened and helped flesh out your own understanding of the practices that we, we know and love called the yoga and meditation. Um, so that offer is there for you in the show notes. And connected to the preparatory online courses, there, of course, there's the opportunity to train with us in these core modules that we offer. So the, the, the foundations module, the TCM module, the mindfulness module, and the yang yoga module. And these are all now being offered um, online over Zoom. And uh, you can look up more about those on our website at joshsummers.net. And again, uh, I know because everyone's feeling uh, sort of the financial pinch of the moment, we do offer significant scholarship support in something we call the Pandemic Assistance Scholarship Support Fund. And to receive an application for that scholarship, all you need to do is shoot us an email at info at yinyogaschool.com, and we can get that process underway for you. So those are just two opportunities, either Sublime Quartet, as an on-demand online bundle of courses or any of our deeper intensive modules are available now online and um, we really look forward to continuing to help support you in your practice and also your teaching. Now for today's talk this is a continuance really of some other talks I've given where I'm trying to explore the relationship between awareness and the objects or experiences we notice within awareness. And I decided to call this talk 
uh, based on a, an analogy that's often given in spirituality, but I'm calling this talk The Movie, The Viewer, and The Light. And I hope it's a benefit to you. Again, take all of these talks with a grain of salt. Consider them as something to reflect upon. If they're useful and valuable for you, please avail yourself of the of material and make it your own, integrate it into your own practice. And if it feels at all troublesome or vexing and confusing, please just leave it aside for the while. On my end, I have to say it's been extremely gratifying and fun to be offering these talks and to getting back to my roots of teaching regular yin yoga classes each week. So if you'd like to join in that fun and participate in our online virtual community sangha, please feel free to do so. There's either a monthly membership model that you can join under, which gives you access to the live classes and all recorded recorded classes in the library, or if you prefer, you can just do a drop-in for any of our offerings. All the information related to the Sangha can be found at joshsummers.net forward slash Sangha, S-A-N-G-H-A. And now, without further ado, the movie, the viewer, and the light. Tonight, I am going to continue uh, kind of this, a series of talks now, I think shaping up to a series of talks about um, the role of awareness on a spiritual path. Um, or a path to awareness, or a way of uh, resting as an identity as awareness. And um, one way of beginning to describe this is to just lay out that this level of our being that I'm referring to as awareness, and I'll say a little bit more about it tonight, but this level of your being is already here. So when I refer to your awareness, it's not something you're going to create it's not something you, that you the person you are as a meditator or an individual it's not something that you'll be able to attain it's something that you <clears throat> wake up into so just like when you have a, a bad dream and you wake up out of it you're no longer in the dream uh it awakening to awareness is like that where you you wake up to a dimension of yourself that is both outside of and containing your former self. So the self that you take yourself to be won't vanish. It's not going to go up in smoke with this kind of awakening. It's just that you, you it will be recontextualized. So if you can imagine, let's say, uh, I'll hold up this bowl. And, you know, if you, if you do this thought experiment with me for a second, let's imagine that for whatever reason you had identified yourself as being this bowl. And then suddenly you woke up as the person holding the bowl. You realize, wow, I don't know why it was that I took myself to be this thing, but I clearly, I'm the awareness. I'm the subjective experience that's seeing the bowl in front of me. And that was sort of the basis for my idea last week of I'm not my green jumper. Like, you know, we take ourselves to be the, 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 the psycho-emotional wardrobe that we tend to wear is being who and what we are. And the meditative journey, the meditative path, really begins to question that at a very deep fundamental level. Sometimes this awareness uh, in different traditions gets kind of, uh, labeled with different terms. And, and it's important to remember that all of these terms, um, as the Zen folks say, are just fingers pointing at the moon. 
And um, as I like to point out, uh, the, the human tendency is to get quite partisan about the nature of fingers. Which finger is the right finger? Are you using this finger, using this finger, using this finger, using this finger? Which finger are you using to point the moon? And which is the correct finger? It doesn't really matter as long as you're looking in the direction the fingers point and you apprehend or actually experience what's being intimated that that's the, that's the essence of it so sometimes the awareness is referred to as source mind like the source of our awareness or the source of our being the nature of the mind the true nature sometimes it gets referred to as unity consciousness because when we rest in it there's a unified field of experience where we don't feel separate or in or cut off or distanced from anything Again, it's sometimes referred to as our true nature or pure awareness, or in, in Buddhism, it sometimes gets labeled the, the, the heart-mind, the bodhicitta, the heart-mind awareness. But the practice is one of shifting really from the level of me and my stuff. So it's like, if I were to describe it personally, I'd say it's shifting from Josh and all his hangups and his fears and his anxieties and his likes and dislikes and his... Um, his favorite foods and his favorite shows and his favorite, all that stuff, that the ball of Joshness shifting from me and my stuff to a dimension of being, which is more direct of awareness, knowing Josh's stuff. There's a, there's a deep level of awareness that just simply knows Josh's stuff as sensations, thoughts, um, feelings, perceptions, etc. Now, the key thing, one of the key things about this, um, and this is really articulated nicely by a contemporary teacher named Locke Kelly, is that this awareness that I'm referring to is, oh, it's already awake by itself. It's already 100% awake, and it doesn't need our help to be recognized. So in a, in a very fundamental way, the path to this experience of awareness is one of softening the patterns of activity that our normal sense of self gets up to so that this other dimension can emerge and be uh, known or can emerge and be uh, recognized, can become aware of itself. And there are many, many ways that the various traditions have uh, given injunctions or instructions for how to encounter this dimension of our being. Um, so, you know, I gave a few last week and I'll review some of those tonight, but there, I'm gonna present a variety of entry points or portals into this experience, um, similar to the way I might give a variety of ways of entering a pose for, for, for doing a yin yoga pose or an asana, given that everybody has you know, the skeletal variations and in terms of our psycho-emotional being, we have inclinations around a particular dimension of ourself or a particular aspect of ourself. Like some of us are more somatic, some of us more cerebral, some of us are more uh, like logical, some of us are more feeling. So depending on what your, 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 the proclivity of your sense of self is right now, one of these ways in might resonate with you more than others. And um, <clears throat> I think for myself, my experience of really getting a feeling for this, this dimension of being came 
in, in the experience of literally waking up from sleep. So uh, for years, when I practice asana, and I get to the end of my practice, and I recline into that delicious shavasana, lying on my back with absolutely nothing to do anymore, um, I try to give myself a 10, 15-minute shavasana, ideally so that I go to sleep, which, you know, as you know, most of the classes I've taken, that's that's contraindicated. You know, the teachers don't want you going to sleep. They say, let go completely, but whatever you do, don't fall asleep. In my home practice, I break that rule every time I can for this reason, because it, the process of waking up, when it's included as part of your practice, can actually reveal this dimension of awareness very directly, if it, even if only for a fleeting second or two. So you don't have to do this uh, in Shavasana. It could be after a nap. It, uh, it often hits me, particularly when I'm, if I'm on the road, I, I'm sleeping in a strange place. This experience will occur where I wake up, and probably many of you had this experience where you wake up and you might not know exactly where you are for a second or two. And, and I'm assuming most of you had that, because when I do, I've done this in live sessions before with, with groups, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that experience where... You fall asleep, you wake up, and you're like, hang on, where am I? Oh, yeah, I'm in Boston or I'm in whatever, Ireland or wherever you are. So you could say the, the GPS coordinates of your location is like a program that doesn't boot up immediately when the lights of awareness come on. So there's a lag, there's a delay. You're awake. You know that you're awake, even if your eyes are closed, you know you're awake, you're conscious again, but you don't know where you are yet. And then it's like the, the program boots up and things start to worry. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 now I know where I am. The same process or the same experience can occur, and this can be a little disconcerting at first, um, where you wake up and not only do you not know where you are, but for maybe a pause of several seconds, a second or two, you don't know who you are yet. And I say this can be disconcerting because right after college, I spent three plus years in, in Asia. And the first year was in Taiwan. And I was teaching English as a second language there. And um, I was plunged into a, a depth of culture shock I had never experienced. And uh, I would wake up and hear like the the... The, the announcements of food vendors out in the street coming in, in Mandarin, coming through their horns and, and the, 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 the trash collection blasting Beethoven, uh, Fur Elise by Beethoven as an electric sort of maniacal way as I go weaving through the streets. And I would hear all these sounds. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know where I, don't know where I am and I, I, I don't even know who I am. And I'd have to sort of go to my journal <laughs> And sort of remember, oh, yeah, I have two sisters and a pair of parents that are still alive. And I grew up south of Boston and I had to recreate my narrative. And it was kind of disconcerting at the time. And I didn't realize the spiritual significance of that experience. And I thought I was just having this sort of breakdown or a psychotic breakdown of some sort. But the more I did my yoga practice and started to observe this process again and again and again, coming out of Shavasana or a nap, I had this direct sense that aware, the, the light of awareness could come on and nobody would be home. 
meaning the sense of self I normally took myself to be hadn't rebooted yet. And I didn't know who was home within the awareness yet. It was just awareness and that was it. And, and it, was a, it was kind of a formless open space for a brief nanosecond or two. And then whew, Josh is back. Okay. And it's like, it's like from this open formless experience of just pure awareness coming awake again. And then whoosh, like everything would seize back up and, and, and contract into my body and then feelings and oh yeah, and I can move and I'm all back here. Now, what we're doing in meditation in this approach that I'm sharing with you is to essentially come and rest back into that same experience whilst conscious that we are learning to start with our first, our, our fundamental experience of what it's like to be us, what it's like to be who and what we are. And then by just letting the content of our normal sense of self do its thing, our thoughts think, our body makes sensations for us, we feel things, we breathe, our heart pulses, we feel all that. And the more we observe those things, the more we can start to intimate into this field of awareness that's that's literally the condition for it to be known, for everything to be known. Let me pause there for a second and just <clears throat> review a little bit about this particular emphasis of teaching and this particular emphasis of practice. Many people are probably familiar with things like mindfulness-based stress reduction or insight meditation, uh, vipassana, sometimes it's referred to. And in, in those systems, the instructions tend to give the practitioner cues to be aware of things. So you're aware of your body, you're aware of your breath, you're aware of sounds, you're mindful of thoughts, you're mindful of feelings. And there's a tremendous value in developing that level of clarity of perception about what is occurring in real time. And you could, in, in one level, you could say that orientation of practice, being mindful of experiences, is a way to come to a realization of what you're not. And that's you know codified in the way the Buddha referred to all experiences impermanent. The experiences you have arise and cease. Every thought you have will come and go. Every sensation you have will come and go. Every feeling you have will come and go. So you kind of watch this ceaseless flux of change. And it starts to dawn on you that you, the watcher, you, the knower of that change is not changing. So you, by watching things come and go, you start to back into a sense of, oh, well, there's something else here watching us. You could call that, I'm calling that awareness. This approach that I'm giving is, is not so much about focus on looking at what you're experiencing, but turning the, the pointer of your awareness back in on itself. I'm, I'm sort of doing it at an angle so you can see the directionality here. Instead of going out to objects and looking at the things that are occurring, we're turning awareness back into itself to sense its own qualities its own experience, the nature of awareness itself. And 
what I like about the way this teacher Law Kelly describes it, he says, this is this is your birthright in a sense. This is a developmental stage of being that is available freely to everybody. It's just that our educational and cultural systems don't really address it. Once you get to a functioning egoic adult and you can kind of work with your thoughts in a semi, I should say semi-functional way, because most of us have dysfunctional <laughs> patterns of being that get us into trouble with others and ourselves. But once you get to a reasonably functional level of being, you know, psychological growth tends to stop. A sense of our own development tends to stop. But the wisdom traditions found throughout the world, East and West, all assert more or less unanimously that there's these higher dimensions of our being or deeper dimensions of our being that are available um, to everybody. And the key to lasting peace, lasting happiness, lasting satisfaction, well, uh, love and compassion is to fully mature and grow into our awake awareness. So th there's a there's another metaphor that tends to be used a lot in spirituality. Um, I have not encountered this metaphor in a like a in a in a live teaching or a book teaching in almost two decades. So, if you know this metaphor in a different way, please bear with my metaphor or my use of this metaphor. But it's the metaphor of the cinema, going to a cinema, and I don't. It's been a long time since I've been at the cinema, but I used to really like to go. Um, and in this metaphor, the screen and the, the, the movie that gets projected on the screen is analogous to our normal mode of being, where we're the, 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 the actor, the star in our own movie, and we're identified with the drama. Like whatever the drama, the story could be boring, the story could be exciting, the story could be depressing, it could be tragic, it could be a love story, whatever it is, we tend to be fully identified and immersed in the story. And if you're a viewer, you pay good money to be immersed in the story. So a really good movie is one where you pay your money, you pay for the opportunity to bring attention to the story. And if it's a good story, you get lost in it. You, you hope that when you watch the movie, you'll be totally absorbed and swept away and you'll forget that you're even sitting in a seat watching something. That's a good movie. <clears throat> in meditation, however, we, one system, this, this sort of deliberate mindfulness that I referred to where you're watching objects of experience, we train the viewer in the seat to be aware of paying attention to the movie so that the, the viewer doesn't forget that they're watching a movie. So there's a way that the, the, the viewer is trying to pay attention. And this is sometimes the way deliberate mindfulness is described by someone like John Kabat-Zinn, where you're paying attention on purpose uh, to be aware of what's going on, to see a character as a character, a sound as a sound, a thought as a thought, or a shape as a shape on the screen. But behind the viewer and way behind the screen, like on the other side of the, the theater, there's the projector. 
and the, and the very condition for everything to be known, both in terms of what's on the screen and to see who's in the, even in the theater itself, is dependent on the light of the projector, the, bulb, the light of the projector's bulb. So in one level, what we're, we're attempting to do is shift from our, the level of our perception as being the viewer in the seat of the theater, watching something, to resting back again and again, deeper and deeper into the source of our very light of knowing. And what I was exploring last week is that sometimes that source of light, that source of knowing can feel as though it's located in a specific place. And I was talking about how the default location tends to be somewhere behind the eyes or behind, behind the third eye kind of in the, in the center of the head or a few inches back in the center of the head. <clears throat> but if you go back to the movie theater analogy, the light, and this is where I'm gonna really creatively play with this notion, but it's almost as though, yes, there's the projector light that allows the movie to be seen because it highlights the, the images on the film and projects those onto the screen. But it's as, almost as though in practice, the more we start to observe the nature of the light of our awareness, it's as though the walls, the ceiling, the floor, everything in the theater becomes incandescent with knowing, the light of knowing. So if you imagine, you know, uh, just strings of light bulbs everywhere in the theater, and if those slowly get turned up, suddenly everything is illuminated with great clarity. And in that clarity, the brightness of, of seeing, that brightness of knowing, it's no longer possible to be lost in whatever is going on in the screen. You'll still, you, you say, you turn up the, the, the lights 50%, where you can still see, make out shapes and, and, and things going on the screen. But as the viewer, when there's that much light in the room, and that much light in the container of the whole experience, it's impossible to be so lost that you get swept up into the story. Because you're just, you're aware of the fact that everything you're seeing is just a projection on a screen. It has, it's not intrinsically solid anymore. It's not sticky anymore. Now, the tricky thing in meditation and the limitation of this metaphor is that, you know, you could say if when you're in the cinema as the viewer sitting in the chair, you can turn around and look back and say, oh, yeah, there's the light. And that's what we're trying to do in our practice. We're trying to turn our awareness back in on itself. But when you turn back in on itself, you don't see this little pinhole of light in the back of the wall. You see an absence, there's an absence of experience because there's no sound within this awareness. There's no thought within this awareness. There's no feeling, there's no uh, sensation. Actually, let me qualify that. All of those things are within the awareness, sounds, thoughts, feelings, sensations, etc. They're all within awareness, but the awareness itself is defined by none of them. 
It's simply like light that benignly highlights what's within it. So my, my first Dharma teacher, Rodney Smith, would hold up his hand and he'd say, everybody hold your hand up now and feel the light against your hand. Now, assuming you don't have some really incandescent light bulbs that are giving off tremendous amounts of heat, you probably couldn't tell if the light was on or not, if your eyes were closing or blindfolded and, and blackout uh, blindfold. You can't feel the light. But when it's on, you're able to see with tremendous clarity. And so that's, that's the slightly tricky aspect of this kind of a teaching, is that our minds, our conditioned mind, is so conditioned to latch onto things, shapes, sounds, colors, tastes, thoughts, feelings. There's such a immediate tendency to latch onto those things and, and sort of wrap up our, wrap ourselves up in them and define ourselves by them. That when we feel into this awareness, there's it can feel like we're suddenly op wide open. It can feel like we're suddenly extremely naked. And it can feel a little disorienting at first. Some of you have heard the story, uh, just occurring to me now, I should mention this, but um, one of the ways I, 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 uh, I experienced this initially was um, doing walking meditation in a, in, a, in a retreat center in Myanmar, where uh, male yogis on, this, in, on these retreats in this particular um, lineage would wear what's called the lungi. It's like a male skirt, big hoop fabric that they just wrap around their waist and tie it. And um, this is about a month into this particular retreat. And because I was doing my own laundry, I had gotten a little bit lazy about washing certain items of clothing. And on this particular day, I was going commando style with my lungi on. So there I was doing very slow, mindful walking back and forth for an hour. And every now and then, as I'd feel my, each footstep delicately placed on the ground, every now and then, I'd realize I, I was so still that I could no longer feel the fabric of the lungi touching my skin. And it was like a sh shock of fright that somehow the knot had loosened and there and had fallen to the ground. And there I was standing half naked in the, mon in the, in the meditation hall. <laughs> of course, I'd, I'd, I'd reel and look down and I'm like, oh, no, it's still there. Knots, knots, very secure, perfect. Okay, good, good. And I'd look composed and keep walking slowly. But the, the analogy here is that when my familiar experience was no longer rubbing against the fabric of being in, uh, being clothed, I had this terror, this flash of terror of being stark naked. And that's a little bit like what it init can initially be like when we start to rest into this open field of pure awareness. That we're stepping outside of all the conditions that we normally rub against for our identity. When we literally shift into another dimension of ourselves, 
where we're out of the contracture. We just shifted out of the contracture of being a me with thoughts, feelings, sensations, etc. It can feel very uh, scary at times. It can feel destabilizing. It can feel, you know, a little bit uh, just bizarre. But little bit, little bit, we can start to sort of ease into it and find that actually that open space of our awareness is very calm. It's very still. It's very peaceful. It's quiet. It's already at ease. And it's not in conflict with anything. And it's the doorway to this dimension of peace or nibbana. So here's a passage from um, Locke Kelly describing this awareness. He says, awareness is non-conceptual, invisible, formless, boundless, and timeless. Yet it is our optimal level of knowing and the foundation of our identity. It is noticed in those times when we peek beyond the veil of our conventional experience, our normal sense of self, and notice the silence that is the fabric of our everyday reality. I'm gonna pick up on kind of the non-conceptual and silent nature of awareness tonight. But on the silence level, many people come to meditation and want silence. They want quietude, they want peace. They wanna get away from their noisy, chattering mind. And they kind of view the meditation practice like some sort of uh, pharmaceutical medication that they can take or do that will make their mind get quiet. Well, that's just playing with the the experience on the screen of the movie, trying to get the characters in the movie to get quiet. But the dimension of awareness itself is a silent presence that is both holding all sound, not just chatter in the mind, but external sound, car bells, car horns, church bells, whatever it is. That awareness is a silent awareness that holds it all and is not phased or agitated by any sound that comes and goes within it. <clears throat> so there are many ways of entering and shifting into this pure awareness. And last week I gave what I would refer to as a somatic approach. The somatic approach is really a step into shifting into this broader, open, space, uh, spacious field of attention, spacious field of awareness. And somatically, what this does is when we shift our awareness from the location it tends to reside within in our head, and we let the awareness descend down, as, I did last, as we did last week, and start to feel the embodied experience from within itself, that starts to break up or loosen the 
sort of habitual tendency of awareness to be located and residing in the head. And that when we do that, one of the functions that this has is that it lets us uncouple being identified as the thinker and it gives us a, a different vantage point from which we can observe our thoughts. Because when, when we're aware, where awareness is located up in the head and we're thinking, it's not just proximity, but there's this habit of proximity up here where we just feel intrinsically, we're the ones having those thoughts. It's me, it's me that's thinking. But when we're resting down and say our belly or our diaphragm or our chest and this whole torso area, and just feeling the, the dynamic flow of energy and sensation as it changes and moves and shifts and undulates in the body. From this vantage point, when we feel that pattern of dynamic energy in our body, when we look back and notice thoughts, you know, it's almost like hearing someone else's thoughts. We're listening in on our own mind from a different vantage point. And it becomes clear, like, wow, yeah, those, those are coming and going. They're clearly coming up with, within me, but because I can be aware of them from a different perspective, it's clear that I'm not, I don't, I need not be defined by them. I can use the thoughts as tools when it's, when it's relevant, but if they're dysfunctional or maladaptive thoughts, I need not make a thing out of it. I can just let them come and go. So if you're in, you know, many of you are coming from the yogic background and, and uh, if that is uh, an approach that resonates with you where you feel connected to it, it, it you click with it shifting your awareness into your body or your hands and, and really feeling those sensations from within i would encourage you to stay with that and it will it, if you just stay with that it will start to expand into this more open spaceless space spacious boundless experience of awareness with time it will sort of mature or, or develop for me even though I had done a lot of yoga, that somatic practice didn't click for me personally. I needed, uh, you might tell, I'm a little bit more cerebral and I needed a little bit more of an analytical questioning or inquiry kind of style of, of exploring the nature of awareness. So one way I found was helpful was to really just drop in questions from time to time in practice of where am I aware from? So rather than shifting awareness to feel it from a different vantage point to gain perspective on it, I would ask myself, where am I aware from? And continue to follow that back where I, until the point I couldn't locate it in any one spot anymore. And when I couldn't locate it as a, as a point or a region or a zone or a, a bounded experience, I, I came to the conclusion that it permeates everything. Now, important point here is, and I, I probably said this before, but it, it comes up in so many different ways that I want to be very, very clear about this. When I say I couldn't find a location on, of it and I felt that it permeated everything, what I mean by that is it was a subjective sense of it permeating everything. It was a subjective sense. It was, a, it was an experience of awareness feeling like it's connecting and within everything holding it all what i'm not saying is that awareness is metaphysically permeating everything which which is more of a, a an objective 
truth claim about the objective reality of awareness. Like, does, a, does reality pervade the cosmos, for example? And I don't know. Sorry, did I say reality pervades? No, I meant does consciousness or awareness pervade the cosmos? That I don't know. And, and science has, is really, I don't even know if science will ever get to that point. I feel like the, 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 the mystery of consciousness is a rabbit hole that uh, many people have gone down and I haven't heard a conclusive uh, result on that exploration yet from an objective science, materialistic scientific perspective. But from a phenomenological or subjective experience of it, it's like it pervades everything. And it's, it's pervading everything within your scope or field of awareness, which is your, what you're aware of right now. So, you know, you probably don't know what's on the other side of my room. I mean, so, and that's fine. That's not in your field of awareness. But when you're awake, when your eyes are open or your eyes are closed and you're just sensing what's arising within your world of experience, it's like awareness is holding it all. It's, a, it's this giant container that holds everything. And as the Buddha said, awareness's capacity to hold is infinite. Now, just think for a second, how much is going on in the world right now that we feel like we can't hold? I don't need to tick off the examples. We're all getting triggered. There's, there's lots of scary things happening. And our sense of self feels vulnerable against these threats. It's very obvious now, but on a micro level, this happens all the time. And so rather than seeking security in getting our sense of self to calm down, which is never going to be a stable, lasting peace, because that sense of self, its nature is to change, The suggestion here is let's first wake up to this deep dimension of ourself, which can hold everything and is not threatened by a thing. And the analogy is sometimes that this awareness is like the space in a room. So you're looking at your computer right now and I'm waving my hand between my face and the, the camera. The space here, space between my camera and my head is completely unaffected by my arm waving back and forth. You could say, yes, there's air, there's currents of wind being generated, but the space itself, the empty space through which all these experiences come and go is unfazed, unchanged. So we learn to shift into this. We practice shifting into this dimension of our being. Almost as, a, and I would say this, and this came out in my interview with Law Kelly, we shift, learn to shift into that which can be with the unbearable to work with the unbearable. We learn to shift into that which can tolerate anything so that we can then help our smaller sense of self find a way to work with the unbearable things that it faces. So the technique that I want to give tonight, I'm going to re I'll review some of the somatic stuff that we did last time. But the technique tonight 
is to actually, and this is one that I found very helpful as a cerebral type that I think I am, it's, it's using thought and words themselves to point one into the experience of wordless, wordless awareness. Because the, the awareness itself has no words, it has no thoughts, it has, it's prior to all these things. This is why it's called non-conceptual. It's an awareness prior to the experience of concepts. Just like that when I wake up from a nap, that a light of awareness is on prior to the programming of Josh booting up again. It's non-conceptual. So we can use words to reference the space in the mind of non-conceptual awareness. And this will sound silly, but it's a, it's a practice that I inherited from some of the Thai monks uh, in the Thai forest tradition, coming from Ajahn Sumedho and Ajahn um, Amaro. But the phrase I'll use and encourage you to think about is, or to, to deploy too in your practice, is the simple phrase, I can't find pure awareness, which is true. The little you, the sense of self that you are, can't find it. The only way you find it is to wake up out of that sense of I. But we can use this sentence strategically, spiritually, to be like the finger pointing at the moon. And how we do that is we just take the thought, I can't find pure awareness, and slow it down frame by frame. Actually, go back to the movie reel. If, if you were to, I don't know if this could actually happen, but you know how the the the, the movie is on is a frame by frame um, sequence of images strung together on the on the spool of the of the film, and and between each frame of an image, there's a gap, and because of the rapidity of the of the way that the the the, the film spools. We don't see those gaps. We take it as a continuous flow of a solid image. But if you were to go back into the projector's booth and slow the whole thing down, you would no longer be transfixed by the story because you would see that one image was discontinuous from another image and there was a gap or a space between each image. And so what we're doing here with this kind of a teaching of using a sentence like, I can't find pure awareness or I am, I am the world's worst meditator. Perfectly good thought to use for this kind of a practice. And that's the one Ajahn Sumedho used. You slow it down, it goes like this. You just silently repeat to yourself, I am not able to find pure awareness. Now, I realize it might not make be totally clear yet. Well, how does that point you into the experience of pure awareness? It's in the silence between the concepts. It's in the silence between the words. It's in the space between everything that this level this dimension of pure awareness can shine through so i'll guide you into this as we do it i'll say more i'm looking at the time and i want to get the meditation started in a moment but 
one way that this is described in, in, in some of the traditions is that, and this is kind of what I want to leave you with, is that the eye that is looking, the sense of you that's looking, can't find pure awareness any more than a wave in the ocean can find the ocean. So rather than struggling to get it right, we just use our thought, I can't. And in between the concepts of each word, there'll be an opening of a gap of pure, quiet, still presence. And we get a glimpse of it. And all I'm asking tonight is in your practice to think of it, and this is the, the language that Locke Kelly uses, to initially just get a glimpse of it. So even just between two words, if you can get a, a second or two of a taste of this silent, pregnant knowing before, between the words themselves, that's a, that's a great first start. And of course, it's like, it's like getting out of the orbit of our normal sense of self for a second or two and then falling back into orbit. You know, you will come back and you'll start thinking again. You're like, oh, was that it? I'm not sure if I got it right. Was that, was that what he's talking about? This is so confusing. I don't know if I'm going to continue with this. It, I hope he goes off this topic at some point. You know, the, the mind will start to kick in like that. That's okay. Does that and take any of those thoughts. I hope I, whatever thought you want, slow it down intentionally. And it starts to reveal, again, this pure space of awareness that is initially seen between the words, but the more you work with it, you start to see that it actually pervades the entire display of the, of the, of the idea. And that's the glimpse. So in Zen, they refer to this, you know, if you come back to the movie analogy for a moment, you're sitting in the chair watching the movie of your experience, in Zen, they refer to taking the backward step, taking the backward step into the source of your knowing. And as Ramana Maharshi said, and this can sum it up very nicely, simply as a point of practice, we let come what comes, let go what goes, and explore or find out what remains. And that's going to trip up our rational mind because when we say what remains we often look for a thing we're looking for a thing my, does my foot remain it's not what he's meaning he's saying the pure awareness that's prior to what comes and re remains after what comes leaves that's taking the backward step into our source so um, I'll pause my talk there and we'll shift into a experiential meditation and hopefully guide you into a taste and glimpses of what this finger is trying to point at. So make yourself comfortable however you like. And we'll begin.
we all started our journey back in September with an encouragement of being gentle and friendly towards experience. All experiences, all thoughts, all feelings, all sensations are welcome. With one exception, intense pain. We don't welcome pain in the body, free to move or shift. If, and if at any point you get flooded by overwhelming, searing emotion, and you don't feel like you can hold it, it's, it seems too threatening to your sense of self then you can always redirect your attention. You can redirect your attention to a grounded point in your body, or you could open your eyes and just stare softly ahead of you to get bearings and reminding yourself that you're here, everything's safe. And with this establishment of kindness, soft, light, receptivity, we let everything do its thing. We let come what comes. We let go what goes. Another way of saying this is, and this can prime it a little bit, asking yourself, what would this experience be like if there was nothing to fix, nothing to do, nothing to get, nothing to get rid of? What is this experience if there's no problem right now? What do you sense? What do you feel? What do you connect to?
Now within the soft, relaxed space of letting things be, in this gentle field, you might ask occasionally, not, not too frequently, but just every now and then, where am I aware from? And for many, this habitual default residence of where we feel ourselves to be aware from tends to be somewhere up in the head. Nothing wrong with that, by the way, it's not a problem. It's perfectly possible for that sense of awake awareness in the head to wake up to itself to feel its non-conceptual, clear, spacious nature. But for some people, because we sense ourselves thinking in our head, the proximity to experiencing thought and knowing thought can trip us into very quickly believing ourselves as the thinker of thoughts. So there can be a developmental significance to learning how to practice unhooking awareness from that residence and feeling ourselves in a more embodied, intimate way. you can slowly start, if you like, you can slowly start to scan your awareness and let your awareness settle down like a elevator descending slowly through your throat, into your chest, and around the heart. Through the diaphragm, into the belly and pelvis. And feel the natural rhythm, the natural dynamic and rhythm of the body from within itself. Some of you found it very helpful to focus more on the sensation of the palms. That's perfectly fine. But somewhere below the neck, let your awareness descend. And feel the immediate intimacy of the alive energy and how the awareness seems to suffuse or permeate the entire field of this experience, knowing it from within.
just want to be clear that in that instruction of shifting awareness down to the body, it might sound like awareness as it shifts into the body departs and leaves presence behind in the head. And it can feel like that at times. Your center of gravity of knowing shifts into the body. But it's also quite possible, and ultimately this will be the case, that the knowing, the sense of knowing just broadens and is simultaneously present in the body, the head, and beyond all at once. So if you get down to your body and you're really feeling your belly, the, sen the sensation swell and fall with the breath, but you're also aware of some sensation in your head, that's fine, totally fine. But the key thing here is you make the shift and try to feel into the knowing that suffuses all of your sensations, feeling the sensations from within. See if you can appreciate the spontaneous, effortless, self-sustaining dynamic of this knowing. We don't need to pay any energy or any fee to rest into this. Relaxing into it is all the energy required. And through all these exercises, of course, you will drift off. The drifting off process continues. And it's absolutely not a problem, nothing to fight about, nothing to judge or condemn yourself about. Waking up out of the drifting up, drifting off phase is a micro experience of waking up. It's a micro experience of awakening. You are lost in something. Now you're awake and aware of something.
as you connect with the natural rhythms of your body, the natural dynamical flux and flow and change of sensations and heavy and flowing of the breathing. You can feel like a dance of awareness with form. Your awareness spontaneously shifts and holds and guides and feels and connects with every subtle change of the dynamic of sensation. So if this embodied somatic appreciation of unified knowing resonates with you, please stay with it. Let the somatic field of experience be like a field you let your weary self rest into. Let the body's dynamic of alive energy be intimately embraced by the holding of awareness. I also want to offer an alternative avenue or portal into this experience. And this is the one I mentioned where we use a deliberate thought, use a sentence, any sentence will do. But we use a deliberate thought and repeat the thought slowly enough so that we start to feel the pregnant silence initially before and between all the words, so that we get a glimpse of the silent awareness knowing that holds and pervades all conceptual thought. So I'll do it a couple times, maybe just once, I'll do it once. And then let you play with it as and how you like. So the idea here is that you listen fully. 
the body very relaxed and soft. Just listen to the space before and between and after each word. I am not able to find pure awareness. Now, if you like that sentence, if you find the light humor in it, amusing and ironic, feel free to use it. If you have another sentence you would like to use, like, I am filled with loving kindness, you can go take that sentence slowly, whatever structure you want, whatever statement you want. As Ajahn Chah would say, everything, if you let it, will wake you up. Any thought. We start to sense the field of knowing through which thought arises and ceases. All experience references the unconditioned nature of the mind. Letting come what comes. Letting go what goes. Resting into that which remains. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's Dharma talk and meditation. I hope it continues to support you on a weekly basis in your practice. Please, as I try to say in the talks, please feel free to email me directly with any questions or themes you'd like to see explored. Um, You can email me at josh at joshsummers.net. And I look forward to seeing you again in the next episode. And uh, have a wonderful week. Keep practicing and stay strong.